0: Pistons,
1: your daily Detroit Pistons podcast, part of the Lockdown
0: Podcast Network, your team every day. What is happening and welcome to the Lockdown Pistons podcast, your episode for Friday, June 15th, and I'm going to tell you why today that the Pistons hiring process for coach and GM has sucked and why that matters. This is your boy Matt Shook, an AP writer in Chicago covering the NBA Pistons follower my whole life and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade as well. Thank you for making us part of your daily routine here on Locked Pistons. And as I said, going to talk about that process for hiring a coach and GM. Not the Sixers process, but the Pistons process and why that has sucked so far this season and why that matters. Also going to talk to listener and podcast host Gabby Avilas down in Puerto Rico to hear how things are going down in the islands and how a guy from San Juan became a Pistons fan back in the day. And also today for Pistons playoff playback, back to some more happier days and a couple of championship clinchers. Not much news developing about the Pistons hires lately in terms of Dwayne Casey. Sounds like he's meeting with the players late this week. We'll be back in town, or we'll be in town uh, initially next week as coach of the Detroit Pistons. And no news so far early Friday morning on the general manager front. Sounds like the press conference to introduce new coach Dwayne Casey will be on Wednesday, according to Vince Ellis of the Detroit Free Press. And it got me thinking... Maybe that means it'll be a joint press conference and uh, possibly the general manager will be introduced at that time as well. So maybe Friday we might be on GM News Watch, but we will see if that develops maybe on Monday also as well. Hearing some things from fans as I listen to sports radio and some of the hosts around Detroit and, uh, of course, some of you guys on Twitter, that uh, some of the defenders of the franchise, maybe some of the loyalists, saying that it doesn't really matter that there's no GM right now. They got the right candidate and coach uh, Dwayne Casey. And even, as I mentioned, Vince Ellis, Oh, by the way, kudos to him uh, of the Detroit Free Press. He's been running circles around the other writers in town on the story in terms of the, the coaching search and whatnot. His sourcing was really shining through here this summer. And he's kind of excused the Pistons a little bit on that process front. It seems like he, quote, t- tweeted someone on Twitter that was asking about the GM. Why is there no GM this close to the draft? Why don't you have a GM? He said, quote, Say it after me with feeling, Ed Stefanski is making that pick, end quote. Now, Vince wasn't saying that that's okay. He wasn't making an opinion about that. But just reiterating the point that Ed is definitely in charge with this front office right now. Now, if we go back to when Stefanski was hired a few weeks back, here's directly from the press release from Stefanski's hire. I'm going to read it from it right here. Quote, Stefanski will reshape the team's basketball operations infrastructure and strategy. In this new role, Mr. Stefanski will assist in the searches now underway for a new head coach and new head of basketball operations, conduct a broad review of the existing structure in which the two jobs were previously combined, recommend enhancements and improvements to that structure, and act as a long-term strategic advisor to Mr. Gores and the Pistons' ownership team." His contract is a three-year term, end quote. That sounds like a consultant. That's not someone who's making basketball decisions about this franchise going forward. Gore's basically said in this press release, and the Pistons said that he's going to decide about the power structure, decide about the structure of management. Well, you know what Ed Stefanski's power structure has been so far? Ed Stefanski has all the power. That's his power structure. And I don't necessarily blame him for this. You get handed the keys, you don't let go, I guess. And this guy has been in front offices probably in the second, maybe the third or the fourth chair throughout his entire career, and he's found a desperate partner in Gora's and seems like he's trying to do everything he can to hold on to that power. We see that with the hiring of the coach before the general manager. We see that with the young names being thrown out there for general manager, inexperienced guys who, by the way, Whenever they do get hired, had no influence in the hiring of this coach, and that does even more to further my belief in that. An easy Ed Stefanski, who I nicknamed him after I was trying to jazz up the boring hire, when Stefanski made is anything but easy. This guy is hard. He's battle tested. He's bulletproof with office politics and the way that front office squabbles have gone. This is kind of a. a in all everything role that Stefanski has. And he was a blah hire that we were kind of told uh, in terms of from the, the message senders from the Pistons that, oh, you know, he's, he's just kind of working the, the org chart basically. Well, that's not what we were sold, this, this version of what Ed Stefanski is doing right now. And it's crazy. So I'm not defending the, this process, and I'm not happy about this as, as a follower and, and even a fan of this organization. But uh, but one thing I am happy about that I've heard some people kind of grumbling about too and and unrelated, maybe a little bit unrelated, something something good that owner Tom Gores did this week was the fact that he overpaid in getting Dwayne Casey and no doubt that he did with that 7-year 35 million I'm sorry, 5-year 35 million dollar contract. But as a fan, you really shouldn't care about your owner overpaying for a coach. In fact, you should be encouraged about it. And sure, the extra year tacked on that maybe was the Pistons tax that I talked about earlier this week, it's a little bit concerning and something that could impact the team going forward. But as far as the $35 million, and, and by the way, that number gets even more eye-popping eye when the news Thursday came out that Nick Nurse, the assistant under Casey, is going to get paid like $3 million a year to replace Casey in Toronto. But that $35 million that Casey's getting is not on the salary cap. It doesn't impact fans. If anything, it's a sign, or really another sign, that Gore is just desperate about turning this thing around. And sure, that kind of goes along the same lines of Pistons having negotiating issues, shall we say, as it seems given the way that contracts for guys like Langston Galloway and John Lure and Bobon and maybe even Ish Smith, all those ended up Um, In addition to the belief that they got owned maybe by the Clippers and the Blake Griffin trade negotiations. So maybe there is a bigger problem that this Casey thing is more evidence of. And I'm not trying to totally defend Gores here. His his, his tenure as owner has obviously not been good. He's in the bottom group of professional sports owners out there in terms of his resume, in terms of what he's accomplished on the court with the Pistons so far. And there's certainly a lot of things about him and this organization to criticize, as I did a little bit ago. But the investment in Casey to turn this around right away is another indication that Gores is willing to spend and that he does care about this team, contrary to what some of the other opinion uh, makers out there in this uh, this town are kind of talking about with him. But uh, speaking of opinion makers, Gabby Avilas in Puerto Rico, he's got a podcast down there, a Pistons fan down in San Juan. He's going to be telling us about how things are going on the islands almost a year after the uh, hurricane's... Um, hit our American friends, American islands down there, and also how he became a Pistons fan down in paradise. He reached out to me on Twitter, and I wanted to give him a, a forum here, give us give him a platform to keep Puerto Rico in the news, keep Puerto Rico on the minds of the Lockdown Pistons listeners as we kind of go forward with our business and move on with our, our lives here every day while they're not able to do that as easy as we are here in the continental United States. But if your company wants to reach men between the ages of 18 and 44, you should be sponsoring Locked On Pistons. We are listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 to 44 all over the world in places like Puerto Rico and all throughout the rest of the United States and and, uh, like I said, all over the world as well. So if that demo sounds good to you, this is your spot. Plus we've got reasonable rates. So email me at matt shook S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com to find out more. Yes! And we are now being joined by Gabrielle Aviles, uh, the one of the hosts of the Deste Las Gradas podca- podcast down in Puerto Rico. Uh, Gabby, thanks for taking the time j- to join us today.
1: Hey, Thank you for the invite. And that's very good pronunciation,
0: actually. It oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, so I-, I used to live down in the Virgin Islands for three years down in St. Oh. Thomas, and I'd been in Puerto Rico many times while I was living down there and even before that. Uh, once as well, like on a cruise to stop in San Juan before I was actually able to spend more time in Puerto Rico. So obviously I have a lot of friends down in the Virgin Islands still um, hit hard last September by the, uh, the the multiple Category 5 hurricanes that hit them, and Puerto Rico was hit so hard and devastated by those storms. And Gabby's down in, in Puerto Rico still in San Juan. Why don't you give us a, kind of an update on, on where you see how things stand with the recovery right now in Puerto Rico?
1: Well, the, the, the best word to describe it is slowly. It's still reco- we're still recovering very slowly. There's like two Puerto Ricos. There's the Puerto Rico in San Juan where I'm at, which is the capital. And if you come to San Juan, you basically you can forget that a hurricane came unless you really go you know into, into some of the rougher areas. But then uh, as you go out of San Juan and into the, the mountains, the, the inner part of the island, or you go to the East Coast, and the two islands of the east, like Vieques and Culebra, there you still really see a lot of devastation, like electricity. Either they don't have electricity or, you know, they, they have it, but it, it, only a few hours and then it goes out and comes back on. So it's not reliable. There's still trouble with communication in some areas, in terms, in terms of phones. So, you know, I, I would say that the east coast and the, and the, the inner part of the island... Are still on on rough shape. If you fly over Puerto Rico, you still see a lot of houses with the blue roofs, you know, the canopies. And we're already started. We we just started this week the new uh, hurricane season. So you know, it's it it's it's very troublesome that we're still far behind because it, we we may be hit again. And it doesn't need to be a Category Four hurricane because our system right now is so so vulnerable. You know our our, our structures and our electricity, you know, our power grid, that it wouldn't take a, a, another Maria or another Irma to, to knock it down. You know, we're, we're in, in that sense, they have been patching things up. Uh, things up. It, they, they, they're not doing a new grid or new stuff. They're just, you know, patching it up so that people ha- have electricity. And, you know, that, that may not be sustainable, you know, in, in the middle of, 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 the, of, of the hurricane hit zone. So, you know, it's, we're, we're hoping for, for a, a hurricane season that does not bring many hurricanes or does not bring many storms. We're hoping for a, a calm year because last year was rough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was lucky enough that during my 3 years down there, the my three hurricane seasons were were tame obviously compared to uh, you know relative to last year uh, extremely tame before I was able to I I moved away in 2016. But uh, we're all, you know, we've all been thinking about you guys over the past year and and we know about the bureaucracy of the federal government and some of the problems that uh you know FEMA aid and and money getting tied up and all that kind of stuff. So we'll talk a little bit later on with you about some of the organizations that are helping out uh, you know basically boots on the ground type stuff and some of them with NBA ties as well but uh, Gabby you reached out to me on Twitter because you saw that I had tweeted something about Puerto Rico and 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 we, we know that you're a Pistons fan down there how does a guy in Puerto Rico uh, latch on to uh, to the Detroit Pistons in particular and, and how did your fandom grow with the team
1: yeah well first of all i want to thank you for for you know, for talking about Puerto Rico and writing in social media, it's good that, you know, to keep the word going and spreading the word. So really, thank you for, for doing that. So that's, you know, when I saw that you were doing that, you know, I also listened to your podcast. So also, I was like, you know, great. This is guy is a Piston fan like me. Um, I, I basically, I'm a kid from the 80s. So I grew up, uh, you know, my, our family was really into basketball. And the 80s was, you know, when the NBA really spread its, spread its wings. And also in Puerto Rico, cable TV was spreading. So we started getting more uh, NBA on TV. And, you know, in, like in the 80s, like everywhere, most people were either Celtic fans or Laker, Laker fans and some Sixers fans. And I'm, you know, I, I couldn't find my place in either of those. And I don't know, I, 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 I've never been the, the type of, of fan that goes for the favorite. And, you know, everybody was a Laker fan. Everybody was a Celtic fan. And then one day I saw the Pistons, and I saw Isaiah, Tem- Isaiah Thomas play. And you know, I'm a small guy, always a skinny guy. Is you know, not not uh, short. So I, I I couldn't identify with a point guard like Magic, w- which was 6'9". But then I saw this guy that was, that on most cases was the smallest guy on the court, and he could play against all of them and beat them also. You know, he could compete successfully against all these guys. And I just you know, it was. I, I, I became a fi- fan at first sight. And then, of course, you know, they drafted Rodman, who I liked from the beginning. And, you know, I just got into the bad boys really hard. I, to this day, I still really dislike uh, the Bulls and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen.
0: Hey, that's <laughs> and, something and that, that we... That's something we all carry with us, and I'm glad you mentioned the Celtics too, because there's Pistons fans that are maybe younger than than you and I that uh, that don't remember or, or don't have any you know feelings about the Celtics. That you can't forget that we get we hate the Celtics. We can't yeah exactly ever yeah, yeah, we the Celtics, even if they're going up against LeBron or something. We hate the Celtics. We're the Detroit Pistons. We hate the Celtics. So
1: exactly. I, I'm glad exactly. you feel that way because that's exactly how I feel. You know, I still remember, I still have you know bad memories of. Of, and, and, and I still hate the Lakers also. I don't want to count out the Lakers.
0: Gabby your paths kind of collide there with the you guys and I know you guys talk a lot lot about uh, Puerto Rico basketball on the podcast and and uh, like I said your world's kind of collide with the Detroit Pistons and Puerto Rico basketball is kind of the maybe the most famous Puerto Rico basketball player of all time Carlos Arroyo had a nice stint with the Pistons there too tell us told us about maybe the brief thumbnail history of of uh, the Puerto Rican basketball players in the NBA I know J.J. Barea has got a ring as well Um, those are kind of the two Biggest names uh, that are from Puerto Rico, and obviously Carmelo Anthony is another name that uh, that's yeah. in the lore as well.
1: Actually, well, we we have a long history of basketball in Puerto Rico, especially in FIBA basketball. But in the NBA, we, we we hadn't broken through. You know, we had good players in Europe and in FIBA basketball. We had like you know, we always go to the World Championships. You know, Puerto Rico they really followed the basketball team, and but you know, we didn't have a, a player you know to break through in the NBA. We had we had like Butch Lee, which was from Marquette, but he was more, you know, born and raised in, in the US, but had Puerto Rican roots. And he, he he kind of had you know he he won a championship with the Lakers. But he he's he actually he and and on that uh on those days the if you played in the NBA, you couldn't play FIBA basketball. So since he started in the NBA very young, he wasn't able to play a hardly for the national team other than the 76 Olympics. So he, he didn't be, really became like this huge bas- basketball star here. But, you know, for the generation of uh, Arroyo and then Barea, they played for the Puerto Rican team, and then they became NBA players. So they already had a, a, a huge fandom here. So when they break through to the NBA, it was great. For me, it was awesome because I'm a Pistons fan, and I'm a huge Arroyo fan. So the fact that he sang with the Pistons was, was like a, a, a match made in heaven. Other than that, we had a Jose Ortiz. They called him Piculín. He was actually drafted by Utah in the late 80s. I think it was like 87. And he actually was a, you know, a lottery pick. But he, he quickly left the NBA and went to Europe. And he made a, a career in Europe, played a lot, a, a lot in Greece and Spain, and what became a legend for the Puerto Rico national team. But he never came, went back to the, to the NBA. So Arroyo was kind of the one that broke through. And then Barea came after and just followed his footsteps and has had a very good uh, career, especially in, in Dallas.
0: And we know about the 2004 uh, Puerto Rico beating the United States uh, in the Olympics being uh, one of the bigger moments, probably, I, would, I guess, the biggest moment in Puerto Rican basketball history.
1: Oh, yeah, for, for sure. And And that also helped Arroyo a lot because Arroyo became the the poster, the poster, a, a guy from that team. So yeah, that, that was a huge victory still, you know, to this day, you know, they put it on TV and, and we, every time a, a big competition comes, you know, we always talk about that game. It was kind of like the, when we got everything together, that finally we were going to have the tournament that we hoped we would have. But unfortunately I, we didn't quite capitalize after that victory. You know, we, we ended up at sixth place in the Olympics Uh, We we expected more after starting the Olympics with that huge victory. But, you know, Mm -hmm.
0: I would hope most of uh, our listeners know this, but I just wanted to make sure that we point out that, uh, you know, Puerto Rico, obviously a part of the United States, a territory of the United States, uh, just like the U.S. Virgin Islands and Guam uh, as well. Um, but uh, they have their own Olympic team. It's an Olympic uh, program that's separate from the United States Olympic team, just like the U.S. Virgin Islands does as well. And I covered the U.S. Virgin Islands Olympic team down in Brazil in 2016. We had about 12 athletes competing. And while there, yep. I saw Puerto Rico win their first gold medal in uh, in history as Monica Puig won the women's tennis gold medal. I was at that final match. I'm a tennis fan. so Oh, uh, wow. Was, that was huge. Yeah. When I was when I was doing, it was like one of those days where I had some assignments that I was covering my athletes. like get at swimming in the morning and I didn't have anything going on that afternoon. So I went over to the tennis complex and watched Monica Puig win. And there were just small pockets of Puerto Ricans that were in the crowd there in Rio de Janeiro. And they were just going nuts. And it was just like the greatest... The greatest atmosphere uh, to be a part of and uh, some pretty sweet Olympic memories that I had. And the, maybe one of the biggest ones is Monica Puig winning that gold yeah, medal. There. That,
1: that was a great moment uh, here in Puerto Rico. You know,
0: the island paralyzed.
1: You know, it was everybody was watching that game and it was great. It was a great moment.
0: So what, what else? Uh, tell us more about, about the podcast. I know you guys do it in Spanish. So maybe that disqualifies maybe some of our or maybe, maybe many of our listeners. But if someone wants to check it out, what are you, what are you guys uh, talking about?
1: Yeah, we we stick around, you know, it mainly uh, sports that Puerto Rico competes at, but we also cover all other ones. Like, you know, the World Cup is coming, so we just did a podcast on the World Cup, like a preview, and and we also, you know, we love the NBA, so we we do, you know, uh, periodically we do some NBA podcasts to see where we are at. And my partner is a Celtic fan, so we basically hate each other on the court, but and and he's been doing better than 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 me so that doesn't help
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's been that's been better for him uh, the last couple of years but the, you can find the guys on twitter it's deste that's d-e-s-d-e and then an underscore and then las l-a-s and then gradas g-r-a-d-a-s and you told me that that translates to you know from the stands from the bleachers something yeah. like that as well. it's so-
1: basically a, a fan you know from the fan view you know we, we're we fans at heart uh we both have different uh, other professions but we love sports we we were always talking about sports all the time so one day we we decided hey let's start you know talking and you know recording us and let's go for the podcast and you know we enjoy it a lot and you know it's it can we have gathered a following here so it's been fun
0: yeah it seems like it's been uh, seems like popular as well as you guys got a nice social media following there too now let's talk about how to help you mentioned we off off uh mike here we talked about uh, how JJ Berea has a foundation and it sounds, and I guess the best way to find it is probably on Facebook. You just do a search for JJ Barea Foundation, and uh, there's a donate button there as well. And it sounds like he's kind of a guy that's that's on the ground with uh, with with the people and doing everything that that he can to help.
1: Yeah, Barea has been great. You know, I would recommend every everybody who wants to help. You know, just you know do your research about different uh, uh, different uh, organizations or if you have any favorite organizations that are, that are doing some stuff down here, you can don- donate through them. But if you want like uh, organizations that at least I uh, believe in, uh, the Barra Foundation, J.J. Barra Foundation, I know he's been doing great work here and he's been do it di- doing it directly with the communities and the people who need help, you know, going outside of the bureaucracy. Also the Ricky Martin Foundation, ha- they have been doing great uh, work down here so you know donate you, you donate any way you can and 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 you can also help in other ways, like like i I, I just told Matt you know just keeping the word alive, you know uh, not letting it go down, uh, keeping it in the news cycle, and you know talking about you, talking it to your congressmen, to your neighbors, just talk about Puerto Rico so that maybe Puerto Rico people hear you and do their own research and find out and find out maybe ways they can help and of course, you, you, everybody who's listening, they're more, more than welcome to come down to the island. You know, the tourism is open. So, you know, I, I guarantee you that you will have a good time down here and you'll be helping us as well. Because, you know, every every dollar spent here is is money that's going to be reinvested here and, you know, help people, you know, uh, improve their, their life.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say is is that's maybe the most important part, and we know how uh, Michigan winters get come come, uh, you know, December, January, February, and if you're looking at vacation plans to try to get away for a nice uh, warm vacation in the winter, I would recommend getting down to Puerto Rico, getting down to the U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. John. Uh, you know, cruises are nice, they stop in for, for a, the day, a few hours, but I would recommend getting a place, uh, renting a, you know, Airbnb, staying in one of the resorts in Puerto Rico or uh, and, and checking out old San Juan and all that good stuff. And if you've never been down to the Caribbean islands, and this is a way to help, you know, it's, great. it's great because you're helping out Americans and you're helping out and you're spending some money in a place that, that needs that. And, and I think that's probably be the best way to get down there is to maybe spend your, your winter family vacation or whatever you do this year uh, down in the islands.
1: And also, uh, you know, an a important thing for, you know, for American tourists is that uh, in the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, you can come here without a passport. You can just, you know, yep. get on a plane and I get here and use dollars. Yeah.
0: You know? and, and a lot of obviously San Juan's got a really nice airport where there's a, a lot of flights going in and out of there. And same thing with, uh, with, with St. Thomas and St. Croix. There's airports that get right in there and, and, and it's all yeah. easier than you'd think.
1: And in San Juan, we have very nice hotels and also in other parts of the island. And there's a lot of Airbnb properties here that you can look at and, you know, you'll be, you'll have fun.
0: Mm -hmm. And so Gabby on Twitter, we can find you at Gabby Aviles. That's G-A-B-Y-A-V-I-L-E-S. And I want to thank you for taking the time and uh, telling us a little bit about uh, what's going on in Puerto Rico.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, for inviting me and and for, you know, uh, talking about Puerto Rico and giving me this opportunity to to talk about Puerto Rico, and hopefully uh, we have better days ahead for Puerto Rico and for Pistons fans.
0: Remember to check out the Locked On NBA podcast this week as our mock draft continues. We're about halfway done with the first round. Six picks a day per episode leading up to the draft, which is now six days away here on the Locked On Podcast Network. The local experts on the biggest stories. Time for Pistons playoff playback. We'll call this one a daily double going back to 1990 and 2004. Starting June 14th, 1990, 28 years ago yesterday, 007, seven tenths of a second left when Vinnie Johnson knocked down the game winner from the right elbow extended, giving the Pistons their second straight championship in Game 5 of the NBA Finals in Oregon against the Portland Trailblazers. Things you might not remember, VJ was being covered by Jerome Kersey on the play, which is weird. You'd think they'd maybe get a smaller guy on him, but uh, Clyde Drexler had already fouled out um, all at that point. Isaiah penetrated and drew Kersey away from Vinnie Johnson. Isaiah kicks it out. It was a strange shot. It looked like Vinnie kind of stumbled into it a little bit, but I guess that's kind of like all of Vinnie's shots. Unorthodox overhead shooting motion, catching defenders off guard a little bit. The Pistons trailed by seven points. After a Buck Williams dunk with 2.07 to play on the road, Chuck Daly calls timeout. Man, it's up seven with 2.07 to play. You got to lock that game up, Portland. My gosh. But that was the last basket that Portland would score. Vinny would go on and scoring score seven of the game's last nine points as the Pistons went on a 9-0 run to close the game. And also Vinny had a big jump ball win to set up the only basket that he didn't score. So from that point, VJ gets a three-point play and a jump shot, which fouled out Drexler. Drexler went for the block and fouled out on that play. So the smaller lineup kind of forced. Kersey to, to cover the microwave later. After that, Duckworth missed an awkward shot in the lane. Vinnie Johnson takes Danny Young off the dribble for a, for a, um, a basket in the two-point game. Then uh, Duckworth missed a hook after that on Lambeer, went in and out, looked like it was going to fall twice. But that set up the tying basket, which really should have been a turnover as Bill Lambeer was about to reverse it over to Vinnie Johnson, but Vinnie was cut into the basket. And that ball would have gone out of bounds, but it was deflected by Danny Young, and the momentum of the ball was stopped so that Vinny could uh, could recover and pick up the loose ball, and that set up the jump ball that he had with Danny Young after that. Vinny easily wins that one with his long arms, and uh, the ball is eventually reversed over to Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah hits the jumper. as Duckworth gotten to Terry Porter's way on the pick and roll? That's uh, concluded a game-high 29 points from Isaiah Thomas, who was the Finals MVP that year after Dumars had won it the previous season. Uh, Portland comes down. Porter throws the ball away on a drive as he was looking for a cutter, setting up the 007 bucket for Vinnie Johnson. Now, another thing you might have forgotten is Portland had a chance to tie it or maybe even win the game at the buzzer. Uh, Chuck Daly smartly uh, double-teamed Kevin Duckworth with a, a front and a back of uh, defender there as Vinnie Johnson did not cover the inbound pass from half-court. Terry Porter instead leaked out to the corner and shot. It looked like it was a two, but possibly a three-pointer, missed off the rim. Uh, Jim's, Jim James Brown, who was the sideline reporter, passed along to Dick Stockton and Hubie Brown on the broadcast before the game that Rick Edelman had drawn up a play for Kevin Duckworth. So smart for uh, Chuck Daly to double-team Duckworth inside and prevent that play from happening as drawn up. So the Pistons were champs. 92-90 to 90 is the final. Fast forward 14 years and one day from that day, and now we're at 14 years ago today, June 15th, 2004. The Pistons romped the Lakers in a rout, but the final was actually only 187 in Game 5, the 2004 finals, at the Palace. But that 13-point margin was closer than you thought, but that's because the Lakers put together a meaningless run at the end of the game, and freaking Darko was part of the reason for that. He played two minutes and was a minus eight and ended up breaking a bone in his right hand. He missed an open eight-footer, and then on the final, the the next possession, broke a knuckle on his non-shooting hand when he was fouled and then missed the two free throws after that. You could see him kind of motioning to Larry Brown on the bench in the final two minutes to get him out of the game because he knew something was wrong with his hand. But Larry was like, what, "Why do you want out of the game?" And they didn't realize what had happened at that point. Darko ended up getting a defensive, I'm sorry, an offensive rebound on the next possession, and then gave up on the play even with the ball in his hands. Got it stolen, which led to another Lakers hoop at the end. So Darko breaks his hand as the Pistons were celebrating the NBA championship, which obviously hurt his off-season of development after that after his rookie season there. Pistons got the final win at home in the finals finally so Uh, celebrating on their home court in the Palace of Auburn Hill, the Pistons were champions again. So give us a follow on Twitter, Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that. Let us know what you remember about those games. I watched that one in Gusoline Alley in downtown Royal Oak, kind of with, uh, obviously, as you would imagine, horrible TV situation was kind of ducking behind the bar to to get a look at that game. All the bars were full by the time I got downtown in Royal Oak that night. At Locked On Pistons on the Twitter account, there and give us a like on Facebook at Lockdown Pistons as well. Thanks for listening to the Lockdown Pistons podcast. as is your host, Matt Shook, and have a good weekend, everyone.